everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bautzor. And today we're going to be doing the long-awaited review of the 2022 recruiting class for Kansas State football. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week we did the preview and the depth chart for the entire team. But this week, we're going to be going over every single commit that is still on the team. Sorry, Brandon Jennings, that is still on the team. And we're going to be ranking them in order from our favorites to those that we think may take a little bit more time in the oven. We will be ranking high school recruits and transfers separately. But other than that, we just have one small bit of news. And of course, at the end of the episode, we have the much loved wacky segment of the week. But the first bit of news before we go into the recruiting rankings for our personal desires is basketball has started up practicing again with their current roster of nine. I think it's eight, eight right now nine. off the top of my head. That's yeah. it. They put out a hype video. It was cool. It was. They put out some images of Cam Carter dunking, and he jumped higher than anybody on last year's team could. So that was cool. Yeah. That's about all we got for, for yeah. Catskitball. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's not a lot else uh, out on that front, really. Uh, we're kind of in a dead period for, for news, really. I think it's also a recruiting dead period for basketball anyways, so... Not a lot of basketball news after kind of drinking from a fire hose there for a while. <laughs> or or kind of it's gonna be quiet for a while unless we get some late additions, which hopefully we do. But hopefully. But yeah, now we can get into our grades and our top lists and the rankings for the new recruits coming in to the football team. Now, the way we did this is, like I said earlier, we separated them into high school recruits and transfers, and Connor and I sorted them into our own lists, ranking them from 1 to 15 for the high schoolers and 1 to 13 for the transfers coming in. And normally, we're pretty like-minded people, and let's just say that we, we do like all of these recruits. There's not a single recruit whether it be a transfer or a high school player that we just straight up don't like. Right. Yeah. There, there's nobody in the class who I watched the film and thought there's no way this person will like be rostered dead weight. Like based on their highlights, everyone I looked at, I could reasonably see a world in which they develop into at minimum a contributor. Not yeah. maybe not everybody as a starter, but in a, a world, yeah, yeah, in a world where a lot of starters are taken from the portal, you know, not everybody that you take from the high school rank is necessarily going to be a starter, especially for a developmental program. And not everybody's going to work out from these high school ranks either. And at the end of the day, we only get to see the highlight tape. We don't get, we did not go watch these people play in high school. We didn't see a full game. We, we don't get, like full game film on them. We get their huddle highlight tape and that's we, it. We don't get all 22 for high school either. <laughs> no, we don't get any all 22. And then sometimes someone give yeah. me all 22. <laughs> begging, begging, I beg of you. But 
Yeah. And, and a lot of these guys, even you don't even get their senior film. A lot of them, you're looking at their junior film, but, and some of it's just going to be word of mouth, trying to guesstimate based off recruiting rankings and people that evaluate professionally. But uh, I think we put together a pretty good and comprehensive list where we do have some picks that we agree on. Like we have a unanimous number one mm-hmm. for both. Um, yeah. Yeah, we do a unanimous number one high school and unanimous number one transfer. You can probably guess the transfer. Yeah. If you're plugged into recruiting, you can probably guess the number one recruit as well, especially if you listen to the show. Yeah. But uh, there's there's some variety here. Yeah. All right. So would you like to go first for high school or would you like me to? I would love to go first. All right. So yeah. reveal, I guess, by proxy, my number one, but your number one. Yeah. So both of our number ones uh, ended up being Tobias and Sanmi. Um, I should have put hometowns on here. I'm just realizing right now. Wichita but, East. Yeah, he is from Wichita. Uh, he's a Kansas kid. He camped Wichita. at K-State. The Wichita East Blue Aces. I know that because there was a debate tournament there once and everyone made fun of me. I'm very sorry for this traumatic experience. That's fine. But, it's okay. <laughs> but, I mean, Toby uh, was someone that I think kind of flew under the radar as a recruit, only ever garnering offers from K-State and KU and then kind of just shutting his recruitment down. He's a 6'3", 220-pound linebacker. He's ended up pretty highly ranked on 24-7, which we used for our rankings in this. Uh, we didn't use Rivals or On3 or ESPN. On3 still kind of refining their formula. Rivals is just kind of all over the place, and ESPN <laughs> doesn't really try. So we decided on 24-7 as an established and generally reputable uh, publication and database. Uh, Osinsami in their composite rankings uh, was a a middle three-star kind of trending towards above average and a 0.862, one of the highest rated players in the entire state. Um, And then uh, he was um, in their in-house rankings in 91, which is good enough for a four-star. Um, pros, he's really blown up recently as a recruit, uh, in the minds of KSA fans because of his elite athleticism for his size. He ran a 10.8, 100 meter dash at 6'3, 220, which is excellent. Um, he um, has a real, I'm sure he probably adds in a really nice 40 time, probably around a four or five. I'd wager somewhere around around there. there, Uh, watching his film, uh, he has pretty good run defense someone i expected to be a bit more raw than he ended up being uh, he's a really good tackler really good tackler in space which is something that we really need and he also showed a knack for diagnosing a play and getting him to a good spot to stop it especially in the run game uh his acceleration is also elite uh, beyond just his speed he has great acceleration he's strong there's a lot of videos of him on his twitter working out and lifting insane amounts of weight I mean, he's going to come in as a guy that needs to pick up on the power five game, but physically he's He's pretty close. He's yeah, he's there. Like he's pretty much ready. He'll need probably a year or two in the oven, but I mean, he's the best linebacker that's been brought in uh, by K state uh, since he got in. I'd say it's not close, but there's a guy on this list a little later that I really like as well. So I'll say it's a little close, but I still think Tobio clears here. Um, and his potential truly is almost limitless as far as his athleticism and his frame go. If he can add an additional 15 to 20 pounds in the next few years 
and maintain his athleticism, he's going to be special. I is where I'm at with Toby Osinsami. Um, his pass coverage isn't horrible, but he, de- he needs more work there than he does in run defense. Um, that's pretty much the only cons with him. That and he's still a little bit raw as a prospect. I ended up making uh, projections as well, um, but I think he'll. I think his ceiling probably is all Big Twelve as a linebacker and with his athletic traits and his size, and as well as uh, developing some skill, his ceiling in the draft is a second round pick, maybe even a first, if he could push for it with a great career. Yeah. I mean, he truly is that good of a prospect. I think he's by, he's far and away my favorite prospect in this class. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's particularly close. The, I'd say the only thing that I would kind of not necessarily disagree with there is that, I honestly would like him at the weight he's currently listed at, at 220, to play Will, to play that weak side linebacker and kind of fill that Roquan Smith role that back when he was at Georgia. I'm not saying that he would, he is Roquan Smith because he's taller and bigger, but which means that he could be better in run defense, which, yeah. which that was always, uh, that was always the, uh, that was always the knock against Rokon, and it still is because he's still smaller. But there is someone later down in the list that I think better fits that true middle linebacker, that Mike linebacker, a little bit better. But Toby Osinsanmi truly is the the sky is the limit for him. He mm-hmm. the athletic and it's it's been a it's been a calling card of all climbing recruits. We saw it last year with Darrell Jones at a coffee bill, SEK represent. <laughs> where he was willing to take a gamble on these freakishly athletic kids that just can develop to can develop their football skills. And honestly, I remember the meltdown that people had whenever we lost Jaron Kanak to Clemson in that Oklahoma. Honestly, I think the gap Jaron Kanak is a better player right now. I, I don't totally, I think that's objectively true, but I think that Tobios and Sanmi has a better ceiling. And if he reaches that ceiling, really the ceiling is not the sky. It's the moon. Yeah. I, I do love the connect comparison as well, uh, because uh, uh, turning the clock back a while, Kanak uh, was a highly coveted recruit by K-State and he ended up blowing up because uh, he took a gamble. He could have committed to K-State, could have, could have committed early and took a gamble. Then he blew up and it completely worked in his favor because now yeah. he's playing for Brent Venables at OU and is just insanely athletic. Um, but Toby is a very, very similar prospect to Jaron Kanak. So I love, I love the comparison because they're both freak athletes with good size. And um, I, I kind of agree with you as well that Toby might have a higher ceiling, but honestly, like I, I think it's, it's it's a pick your poison there or pick your cure i suppose they're not they're both good pick your panacea yeah yeah or that but um (laughs) pick them with uh whoever has a better career because i think it's ultimately a wash uh who has a better career out of those two because i think they're both incredible prospects and we always want kansas kids to succeed wherever they go except for when they play K-State if they don't go to K-State. But other than that, I hope that Jaron Kanak has a phenomenal career with 
OU and gets drafted highly and represents the state of Kansas well. So, but yeah, Toby, just phenomenal recruit. Like his film was excellent. And then his athletic traits stand out. I mean, being 6'3, 220, and being a finalist at state track yeah. is pretty <laughs> remarkable. I mean, nuts. he granted, granted, he's not Nichols Harbor. Uh, who is like a five-star edge rusher who runs like a 10 to seven, but nobody's Nichols Harbor. Like there's a difference. I, I saw this put pretty well recently where there's like a difference between like a freak athlete and a God. And, you know, there's only so much that you can do. And yeah. I apologize. Maple's making some noise. I, I don't know what she's doing. That is what the Maple is doing. Yeah. She's running around. She'll be the, okay. The Aggieville Alley Cats live mascot, Maple. Yeah, she has the zoomies. Oh. All right. So number one is consensus. Tobio is the number one Aggieville Alley Cats recruit. Number two is, I think my number two is what number six on your list. Uh, he is, and I f- I feel bad that he is because I I love him. Everybody six and above, like my top six. With the exception of Toby is pretty interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Like I love all of those guys, but like I had to put them in order and I just basically put them in order of who I like the most on film, like with a couple of exceptions. And cause all of these guys, like two through six are really, really good prospects. I think. Yeah. So I, I said you could go first and will you, you announce all of them first. All right. And- then I will say who is in my position and then just talk about, we'll talk about both. We'll talk about the pair. All right. So just say it. Yeah. Who's your number two? Yeah. My number two is Donovan Ryman out of uh, Enid, Oklahoma. Enid, Oklahoma. Yep. And my number two is John Pastor, the offensive tackle out of Erie, Colorado. So let, let's start off with Donovan Ryman because spoilers for the list. Donovan Ryman is my number three. So you brought him up at number two. You can go ahead and yeah. talk about him first. Yeah. Um, I remember when we got him committed, it was a little bit out of left field. Like there yeah. wasn't like, like I don't remember him ever being on the radar. Like whenever you go through like the offer list, like I don't remember ever really seeing him. I was like, then he committed. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, cool. And I went and watched his film and I was like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) How did this guy slip through the cracks? I mean, he's no, I wouldn't call him a gem either. Like, like at this point, he's the third highest rated recruit in the class. He's actually ahead of Toby O in the composite on 24 seven, which might be an overcorrection. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think so. Great. Yeah. Toby has a really low grade on rivals and it's kind of a travesty. And he should be the highest rated player in the class, I think. But Ryman, that's a Ryman. Uh, 0.8633 composite 85 24-7 grade puts him a third in the class just behind Adrian Lara and Jalen Clem. Uh, the 846th ranked player nationally is Donovan Ryman. I'm a big fan of Donovan Ryman. Like he jumped off the screen at me with his film. I went into his film expecting him to be a middle of the pack player, and he came out not quite being able to usurp Toby, but making me think about it just a little bit. And what's most impressive to me about Donovan Ryman 
is as wide array of effective pass rushing moves for a high schooler. He is incredibly developed technically for the level of play that he's at. And he's also very strong for not necessarily being a heavy guy, 6'4", 230. And he's just pushing people around pretty often. That speaks to his uh, his strength. And so he, he has good burst. He does have a few issues technically, but his pass rush move specifically, I mean, we saw him speed rush, swim, some inside rip. He at one point did this like crossover thing on a tackle and like it was like a basketball move and it like broke his ankles and it just kind of yeah. worked and it was really impressive. I don't know how viable it is, but he did do it. And he, I'm sure there's a bunch, I'm sure there's other terminology that I'm like missing for other moves that I saw, but I just don't know what to call them. Like an ice pick or something. I know Ace loves a good ice pick. The ice but... pick spin move, baby. <laughs> spin move was my go-to. Like the few times that I played defensive end, I, I had a pretty good spin move, but yeah. Uh, Ryman, he uses his hands really well. He has an excellent burst um, out of his stance. He is listed as a defensive end slash kind of edge rusher. I think we may see him in like a, a Khalid Duke heavy edge or maybe uh, in the Felix role. He'll probably be kind of interchangeable between those depending on how much weight he puts on. Yeah. He's also a pretty solid run defender as well. But the the hallmark of his game is that he's an excellent pass rusher and he flew just completely under the radar. Uh, he needs to put on some weight right now, uh, 230. Uh, you'd like to see him opti- like optimistically, I'd like to see him before he sees the field at at least like 10 to 15 pounds. But ideally, I'd like to see him get to 260, 265 uh, before he really uh, uh, seeing the field as a starter. Yeah. But technically speaking, he's really far along. I really like Ryman. Yeah. So I, I obviously really like him too. He's my number three. We'll talk about Pastor in a second. But I, I really like Ryman, and I've seen a lot of comparisons to him with you know, the obvious one is raw edge rusher who's very strong but needs to put on weight. Oh, he's Felix. He's not Felix. He's no. not as strong as Felix. I'm not sure there are many people who are. What he is, is kind of if you put, if you want to go with current K-State players, he's what happens if you put Nate Matlick and Felix in a blender. And I, I feel like this is the second week in a row where I've started using blender comparisons. But It's apt. It's apt. It, he has that. And, and granted, although you're putting him in the blender, you're not getting 100% of either player. You're getting, I'd say, about 60 to 70% of the ten- technique and finesse that Nate Matlick brings, and about 60, mm, 50 to 60% of the current play strength that Felix has as a freshman. So he's probably about physically developed where Felix was when he was coming in. In fact, you've, you've seen the picture, you know that it's prob- <laughs> that's probably yeah. right. Yeah, Felix came into K State like 200 pounds soaking wet. Like, and now he's like 270 and moves the same. Yeah, but I really like Ryman. The only reason why I didn't put Ryman at number two is because I feel like if you plug in Ryman day one and try to start him as a true freshman, I feel like you kind of get exposed a little bit. I agree. And like, for the other people in my top five, the only other person that I can say that for is number five. And even then, I don't think he would get exposed. I just kind of think he would look out of place at times. Yeah. 
Like, I will say Ryman did crack our depth chart uh, in the three spot. So he's someone that has a sneaky outside chance, I think, to get some spot snaps here and there. Like, I think he preserves his red shirt ultimately, but yeah. I'd love to see him get on the field just a little bit. But yeah, I I think Ryman is, a. I obviously think he's a remarkable player. He's my number three. And I think that he has a lot of really good potential just from where he's at technically. And the fact that he's probably going to get coached by Buddy Wyatt, who's probably, it, it's insane to say that he's like, what, the third or fourth best of best position coach because obviously Connor Riley's number one. Connor Riley's one. BA's would, two. Yeah, I'd say BA's two. I'd say Buddy's three. Buddy's three. Yeah. And our defensive end room has been really good. And he gets a year to sit behind Felix, who who better to learn from than someone who had that similar physical trajectory. Yeah. Even though they are different players, uh, I think they will have similar trajectories, which you kind of alluded to. Yeah. Like like they'll they won't play the same spot. At least I don't imagine they will very much. Because Felix can kick inside a little bit more, although that's not his forte. Ryman's yeah. definitely going to live on the edge, and uh, that that's definitely going to be where he's he's best. Did you want to talk about your number two, or do you want to move on? I'll talk about my number two, and I believe my number two is your number six, and that is John Pastor, the six foot six, two hundred and seventy pound tackle from Erie, Colorado, and this is one that. I feel kind of flew under the radar because of one other commit that we got later. And I'm not going to say that it's unfair because just like you said, I think my one, my one through five, except for Toby. So like my two through five are pretty interchangeable. I think that there's a bit of a gap between five and six and then between like seven and eight, there's an even bigger gap, but we'll get to that. But John Pastor to me is someone that you could plug in immediately. It, say if Christian Duffy goes down because Pastor is a right tackle. Say if Duffy ends up going down. And you could probably kick out Pastor out there and he wouldn't be a liability. Would he be Cooper BB? No. Would he even be a mid-range Big 12 tackle? Yeah, he'd probably scrape that he'd be on the he'd be on the outside of it or at least scraping the bottom of it but that's as a true freshman <laughs> he to me he displays an excellent blend of play strength play technique i really love his kick slide he honestly in my opinion has probably the best kick slide out of anyone in this class and might be one of the best kick slides that i've seen out of a high school player who's not a five star the biggest knock against his game is the lower level of competition coming out of Erie, Colorado. But here's the thing. Lower level competition does not mean that you sacrifice technique. In fact, if you are displaying good technique against lower level competition, it means that you're not going to be lazy and skip out on it. And even then, if it's not a concern for this staff, I'm not sure that it's going to be a concern for me. John Pastor checks in at number two. Largely because of his pass blocking ability, I think he needs to work a little bit on his base because he gets a, he gets a tiny bit grabby and a tiny bit reachy when it comes to run blocking. Which with a more power based scheme, which technically we don't know, Klein will run. Maybe it'll be a bit more zone mix in. In fact, it will definitely be more because more than like two. But yeah, he is my number two player just because. 
I, I love Jean Pastor as a player. Just, yeah, obviously I love him because he's number two. But where do you have him and why do you have him there? Uh, I've got Pastor down at six. I say down at six. Like, I still really like him a lot. The, only, the main reason I put him lower is not because of him. It's because of how much I liked three other guys, or I guess four, including Ryman. But um, uh, there were some guys that I really, really liked on this class uh, that we'll eventually get to. Pastor slips a little bit for me, mainly because of I only got to see his junior year film. I really wanted to see senior year film, but it was not available. And I liked his film. He was strong, has excellent size. He's 6'6", 270. Um, Another Colorado recruit. Um, which K-State's been hitting pretty hard. He's a good pass blocker. His hand placement is good. Uh, technically, he's quite good. Um, I will say sometimes when he's running, uh, it, he's a little bit slower than I was hoping for. But And, and I think I, I liked his footwork, but I didn't love it as much as you did, although I will say kick slide was quite good. Um, my biggest issue was once he got into pass blocking, sometimes he didn't move super well. But that was his junior year film. And the staff seems to be very high on him. So I'm gonna have I'm gonna have faith in Connor Riley to figure it out long before anything I say is actually correct. Because I think he's probably a bit better at evaluating offensive line talent than I am. So maybe. But, <laughs> yeah, Pastor slips a little bit for me, but it's not out of a dislike for Pastor because I think he's still an excellent prospect. And there's been very few, if any offensive line prospects that we brought in in the climate era that I've raised my eyebrows at. Like there's no Justin Eichmann's in this class that <laughs> it's like six, nine, three thirty, but legitimately can't move sideways and like never sees the field. Like, yeah. like there's nobody like that, like in like a Connor Riley offensive lineman room. Like they're, they're all good. Like all three of the line that were brought in, but yeah, that, that's me for, for pastor, at least for now. But we, yeah, we can move into our third ranked players now, which again, I do believe is different. Yeah, uh, for because me, mine was Ryman. Yes. Yeah. You have Donovan Ryman. And then I have Garrett Oakley, who, like, some of you probably have not even heard of him or even know who he is. But Garrett Oakley is pretty up on your list as well, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oakley, he's a tight end out of, I believe, Nebraska. It is, wait, hang on. It is Nebraska. It is Columbus, Columbus. Nebraska. Scotus Central Catholic. Supreme Court of the United States Central Central Catholic Catholic High School in Columbus, Nebraska. He's 6'5", 210, so pretty thin for right now, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I can can go into him if you want to talk about Ryman afterwards. I already talked about Ryman. Okay, then I'll talk about Garrett Oakley. Uh, He is supremely underrated. He has, I think, the lowest grade on rivals for any K-State commit. He had like a 5.32 star, and I watched his film, and I have no idea what rivals was looking at. (laughs) I truly, my conspiracy theory is they just didn't look at his film and saw 210-pound tight end and freaked out, which is fair at face value. But he is one of the most fluid athletes that I've seen at the tight end position, especially among the ones that the staff has brought in. 
His agility and movement in space is remarkable. Uh, an example that I can use to help make this make sense to you without you looking at his film is that beyond playing tight end, he was a free safety. And beyond being a free safety, he also returned punts at 6'5", 210 pounds, and as a tight end prospect, which is hilarious. I mean, he I, in his film, he stops on a dime, he jukes past players, he makes people look silly, he has great speed, really soft hands, his route running's fine, but who cares, honestly? And he's a surprisingly capable run blocker as well. He's also pretty solid at contested catching, which granted, I don't think that's going to be a part of our offense anyways. Uh, but he tracks the ball well, and he times his jumps well. Um, he has really good instincts in space. He has good spatial awareness. And he just is all around an excellent pass-catching tight end. I really, really like Garrett Oakley. The only reason I didn't put him higher is because of the sheer potential that Ryman and uh, Toby O have. Um, but Oakley is right up there. Really, the only con that he has is that he's kind of undersized right now. But if he hits 240, maybe 250, maybe he could be incredible. I mean, I truly mean that. Like, he could be the best pass catching tight end that K State's had since a guy like Travis Tannehill or maybe Jaron Mastrud. But I, it's all going to come down to if he can get in the weight room and put on enough weight to not necessarily be a big bruising tight end, but enough to just not get hit and fold in power five football because he's so good in space. He has great hands. His instincts are phenomenal. I mean, he's someone that could see the field if he puts on enough weight after a redshirt season, like with the level of athleticism that he brings. And it's just so strange that he's flying under the radar the way he is. He's a 0.8337 composite, so like a like below average three-star in 85 on 24-7, which is like an all-right ranking. I, I'm not really sure why Oakley isn't as highly regarded as he is. I project him being a potential day three pick uh, at some point. I think he could be an all-big 12 tight end if he's able to keep his athleticism with his uh, added weight. And I don't know. I'm a huge Garrett Oakley fan. And watching his film completely opened my eyes to that because he it was fun to watch his film. It was legitimately enjoyable to watch his film. And he's a recruit that's completely flown under the radar, I think. Yeah. And I think it's just another situation where people look at stars and, you know, this is, I think this is kind of just my, I, I have him at six. Garrett Oakley is six for me and he's your number three. Yeah. And I, everything that you said about Oakley, I agree with. I just, I, and obviously this isn't the trash on him. He's my number six recruit. So I obviously am very high on him. The main concerns that I see with him is Mostly his size right now at 6'5", 210, which a lot of people will hear a weight that starts with 200 and is like, oh, he's fine. It's like, no, he's 6'5". 6'5", yeah. 210 is a string bean. <laughs> yeah, he's skinny. He is skinny right now. Which He does have muscle, but he doesn't have enough. Not right now to play power five. Yeah. And I that's not my main concern with him. My main concern is not is also not his athleticism because I truly believe that he is going to be a plus athlete at tight end. But 
it takes a little bit more than being a plus athlete at tight end. If that was the case, Tyree Jackson would have been a great convert from quarterback to tight end in the NFL. Um, that's a deep poll that I'm not sure anyone even remembers. <laughs> uh, Tyree Jackson was a quarterback out of Buffalo a few years ago who asked to convert to tight end and I think is still with the Eagles now, just doing something, I guess. But good for him. Yeah, good they for also him. moved they the Eagles also moved to Keen Butler to tight end, which was a weird move. Because I really liked Keen Butler. So yeah, but the main thing with me and Garrett Oakley is I think that right now. From what I've seen, and again, this is only what I've seen, it could be different. The fact that he's used as a receiver and not as an inline blocker kind of concerns me because we kind of recruited two receiving tight ends when we don't really have a blocking tight end. Um, ben Sinnott's an H-back. Uh, and granted, yes, I do think that Oakley has a higher floor and ceiling than the other tight end recruit that we got. I, I do believe that, but him as an inline blocker, I'm just not sure he has the frame for it. And I think that's something we need. Obviously I still like him. Obviously I love his receiving upside. And I think that Colin Klein is creative enough to where he'll be able to unlock that, especially when you get you case. has a weird track record of getting surprisingly good athletes at tight end. I'm mostly thinking of Briley Moore, who sneakily ran a four six. <laughs> he looked so slow in game speed. Like he, <laughs> he looked like he legitimately six. ran like a five two, and he was out there actually running four six the whole time. Totally duped me. He he actually was what we thought Bebe was. Yeah, uh, that is true. Briley had a sneakily really good season. Just and people forget about it because it was a COVID year. He was a one year guy. Yeah, but. Oakley, I, I obviously really like him. I've said that like three times now, but he just doesn't crack top five for me. He's number six, which means he's still good. I still have a lot of hope in him. I'm just concerned with his inline blocking ability and yeah. if he can fill in the frame for it. Yeah, I will say in his film, he did have a few highlights of blocking and it was better than I expected. And I don't know how much that translates to power five right now, which I'll, I'll save you the, the guess it doesn't right now. And <laughs> Because, I mean, like 210 isn't going to cut as an inline blocking tight end, but mm-hmm. his form is there for me, and it, it, he just needs that strength. He needs that muscle. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just very high on him, period, as a tight end prospect. I think he's an NFL talent eventually, but he does have a long way to go uh, before he's ready for that. Yeah. All right, moving on to number four. Go ahead and announce your number four. And my number four is Jalen Clem. Um, he's a lot of people should know him considering that he is the highest rated prospect on 24 yep. seven in this class out of Gibsonia, Pennsylvania, uh, six, five and a half, 260 pounds, son of an NFL slash college uh, offensive line coach. He coached the Steelers O line last year and is now at Oregon mm-hmm. As a 0.8801 composite and a 90 grade on 24 7 in house rankings, which gives them a four star uh, for uh, the 24 7 in house, one of two in this class on with Tobio. Um, Jalen Clem, you can tell that he's the son of an offensive line coach when mm-hmm. you look at him. He has excellent technique, he has really great footwork and hand placement. Uh, he, one thing that impressed me about him is that he's really good at. 
uh, helping with a run block and then moving on to his next assignment very fluidly and quickly. And his timing is really great and his run blocking. He uh, is really good at keeping uh, pass rushers and uh, potential run stoppers at arm's length. Once he locks on to someone, he is locked on. He's really strong. Uh, he shows prowess uh, isolated out on an island and then also blocking down. And uh, his long arms are perfect for a Connor Riley offensive lineman and his feet are really quick. Uh, there's a lot to like about Clem. He's super refined as an offensive tackle prospect. I Again, I'll say it again. It is very obvious that his dad coached NFL offensive yeah. lineman. It like, is extraordinarily obvious. Yeah, and it, it's and it's clear why the staff loved him for that. Like he's, I would call him the ideal Connor Riley recruit. Someone that is has really long arms, is a quick mover, and has a frame to build into, and ideally doesn't have a ton of work to do technically, but it can be done, but he, he's already great. Technically um, his frame to be fair is a little filled in right now. So I guess you could ask questions about how much more room he has to add weight. Cause he is 260. You'd like to see him get close to 300 before he's really seeing the field consistently. Um, but you know, like it, it's hard to tell on frames. I, the best, view i ever get is huddle film so <laughs> I, I i'm sure the coaches know better than i do there so uh, that concern could be completely ill-founded um his hands do occasionally get a little bit too high and he's flirting with hands in the face and which that's fixable like that's i i was nitpicking for cons honestly with Jalen clem here um my the only other major concern that one could have is that he may be a closer to his ceiling than we realize given how much of his potential he's been able to unlock early given uh his uh parentage so uh the, there there could be a concern about how much more can he grow but i guess we'll find out um i really like Jalen clem uh he's another one of these guys where it's yeah he's obviously like a top five top six guy in the class but you have to put him somewhere yeah you have to put him somewhere it's just unfortunate that he's at four because he's our consensus four yeah and i see him as a potential i i see him as a future day two pick is where i have him right now i don't think he's quite day one um like not quite cooper bb level of dominance but i think he's clearly got all big 12 potential and day two pick in terms of athleticism and technique especially with uh, his dad maybe pulling some strings there, getting him a soft landing spot. But yeah, he'll need to bulk up a little bit, but it wouldn't be shocking to see him get some snaps in the blowout early in his career because he's coming to campus, I think is maybe, I know you said John Pastor might be the most ready to like step in immediately, but I think Clem, technically speaking, I think he could step in against South Dakota if we're up by like 45 and not miss a beat. Like, although Pastor definitely has better size immediately speaking. Not by a ton, but definitely better. Yeah. So I, I mentioned that Jalen Clem is our number four consensus. He's number four on my board as well. And the only reason I have Pastor above him is it's really just a stylistic thing. I think Pastor is slightly more explosive. And that's why I kind of, that's really the main reason why I like him more. Clem is by far more technically sound which is saying a lot because Pastor is already very technically sound as a tackle. But the reason why Clem is number four and not number two for Pastor is 
just because I think Pastor is slightly more athletic, which is not taking away from Clem. Clem is an amazing player who I honestly prefer him as a run blocker to a pass blocker. He's the opposite of Pastor in that regard. And I, I like tackles who are pass blockers more. And it's just because I watched the Super Bowl once with the Chiefs in it. <laughs> um, but Clem as a run blocker is probably heads and tails the best run blocker in this class. And I don't think it's particularly close. The way that he latches onto people and the way that he's able to laterally move while staying engaged is a skill set that I think is really underrated, especially if Colin Klein wants to implement a couple more wide zone, like what you see the Titans run a lot of in the NFL, which I honestly have a sneaking suspicion that he might, because I feel like Colin Klein does not feel the need to tie himself to one specific style of offense. I feel like this will be a multiple team and I feel like he's able to run a little bit more wide zone with him at the helm. And I think Clem, if you're going to ask him to run wide zone, damn it, he can run some wide zone. (laughs) Oh yeah. His run blocking jumped off the page. Yeah. So he's number four for me. Think of him and Pastor as kind of 1A, 1B tackle recruits. Pastor is better pass blocker and is slightly more explosive. Clem is more technically sound and a better run blocker. And I think our number, moving on to the next one, I think our number five is consensus as well, correct? I think so. Um, I have Jake Clifton. I have Jake Clifton as well. My number five? Yeah, there you go. I, I guess I'll start on Jake Clifton. He maybe, other than Garrett Oakley, is the prospect that surprised me the most. In this class, I watched his film and I fell in love with Jake Clifton. I mean, I didn't go in with any sort of expectation. I just didn't know a lot about him. And I watched his film and I was like, wow, he's so versatile and really just great in a lot of different areas. He's 6'2", 205 out of, I believe, Owasso, Oklahoma. That's Owasso. Yep. He's out of Owasso, a .8485 composite in 85-24-7 grade. So kind of a middle of the pack in terms of rating, but I do think he should be a lot higher than that personally. Um, 21st rated prospect in the state of Oklahoma. Um, Something that surprised me is his speed. He was a lot faster than I thought he was going to be. And it was beyond just that. Also, his acceleration explosiveness was really impressive especially playing at a pretty high level of football. Uh, I believe Owasso is like a 5A or 6A in Oklahoma. And so they were playing some good schools. They played Broken Arrow at one point, and Broken Arrow is a good program. And he had some pretty solid highlights against them. Uh, Jay Clifton, uh, he moves really fluidly. Um, He has some nice stunts up the middle. Um, He his pass coverage instincts were very surprising to me. I was very surprised by how good of a pass cover guy he was because I expected him to be a very like average linebacker in that regard. And it was kind of one of his defining traits. He had a lot of pass coverage uh, highlights in his highlight tape, which was uh, not what I was expecting at all. His play recognition is really good. And then another thing that makes him good for K-State specifically is he is just an absolute asset on special teams he had a lot of highlights on special teams towards the end of his tape had like two or three extra point blocks uh some great great coverage um and uh kickoffs 
Um, and he, uh, another thing that he does well that a lot of high school players don't know how to do is differentiate from when to wrap up and bring a guy to the ground and when to go for the big hit. Yeah. He was at least based on his highlight tape, which you're only seeing the highlights at the end of the day. Yeah. But it was encouraging to see big hits and also really solid form tackles from Jake Clifton, explosive athlete, um, good rusher up the middle, great pass coverage guy. Uh, possibly a mic if he adds some weight. Um, and uh, some of the only cons were not particularly great rushing off the edge. Um, and sometimes if he doesn't have a running start, he's not going to bring a ball carrier to the ground particularly quickly. He may need some help with that, but part of that might be him being just over 200 pounds as a linebacker. Yeah. And he's going to add uh, some weight probably before that. But he comes to KC, I think, is one of the most ready prospects immediately uh his ceiling you can bring questions in about that uh his uh floor i'd say is higher than someone like tobio uh right now i think he has a higher floor but he probably has a lower ceiling than tobio because he's just nowhere near the level of athlete that he is and that's not yeah. a knock on clifton that, 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 no that's yeah. there's i don't think there are very many people on earth who are the athlete tobio is Mm-mm, not at all but yeah i love jay clifton and this has ended up being the best linebacker class that Chris Kleiman has brought in, I think, almost objectively. Mm-hmm. Um, my projection for him at K-State is that he'll be a quality starter, and he could probably push for like honorable mention all Big 12. Um, and draft, I see him as a seventh-round pick to UDFA type of guy, yeah. um, mainly because of his size. But I really, really like Jake Clifton. And it ultimately comes down to like, what's his true ceiling? Cause I'm slightly skeptical of it because he is more complete as it stands and he doesn't have the biggest frame to build into. Mm-hmm. But it does say a lot when, you know, like Chuck Lilly goes on Bosco's voice. Yes. I'm going to invoke the voice of Chuck Lilly here <laughs> where he, you know, like he goes on Bosco's boys and they ask him about recruits that they like. And the first guy he mentions in the class of 22 is Jake Clifton, uh, someone that he really likes. And he also went on there and said that Oklahoma made a run at him late and tried to get him to flip, and he stayed true. So it says a lot, I think, about the quality of prospect that Jake Clifton is, and also his commitment to K-State if he's willing to spurn the in-state powerhouse to stay true. Yeah. I pretty, like I said, I agree with everything that you said about Jake Clifton. I think Clifton projects as that Mike linebacker, just filling into his frame just a little bit more. And the main reason I say that is because he is strangely versatile in his skill set in everything except for rushing the passer, which I don't want him playing Sam or no. I could see him playing. I, I, in a weird way, I could see him playing Jack in this weird universe. And then like but, a universe where he like puts on no weight at all and like slims his frame a bit. Yeah. Like, well, even then I feel like he could probably step in there. Would he be great? No, <laughs> but he has the coverage instincts. And that was the first thing that jumped out to me is it, you mentioned it before, but it can't go, it can't be shorted out enough. Clifton's coverage instincts are absolutely insane. He knows exactly where to put himself. And the number one thing that I love when a recruit does, especially if it's a linebacker, is he doesn't cover grass in zone coverage. 
he covers players. He's constantly looking for work and coverage. And that's why he gets a lot of his interceptions because he's willing to go out and look for work, mm-hmm. look for players to cover, yeah. look for a passing lane. Not to interject, but another green flag about that is he has a lot of PBUs in his mm-hmm. highlight, not just interceptions, which I interceptions are great, but PBUs that really demonstrate great, great coverage. Yeah, absolutely. So Clifton, in terms of a coverage linebacker, is just has amazing instincts. And honestly, he has enough speed to play in coverage, so he probably could play that hair-on-fire middle linebacker role that Daniel Green plays right now. So I just think it's a, a perfect scheme fit. And if he doesn't work out at Mike Linebacker, I feel like he could end up sliding to a different linebacker position so long as he's just not rushing off the edge. Yeah. So we, we've gotten through our top five, and because I don't want to make this another three-hour episode, we'll kind of speed it up for, for six through 10 for us, and then 11 through 15, we'll give like one or two sentences. That works? That works for me because I did just notice this episode's taking a long time. Yeah. But... <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, we already revealed both of our number sixes unintentionally. Yeah, mine, mine is John Pastor, and yours is who? Garrett, Garrett Oakley. Garrett Oakley. Yeah, but, but I think our number seven is consensus, isn't it? I believe so. Uh, I have Jordan Perry. I think you have that I as have, well. I have Jordan Perry as well. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll start with Jordan Perry. Um, he's six foot two, one hundred eighty pounds. He is from uh, Jefferson, Georgia, um, and he's a safety prospect. Point uh, eight four seven seven composite, eighty six uh, on twenty four seven. Um, some pros about him. He has really long arms. He's very rangy. Um, I have my notes, prototypical corner, but I meant to put safety. Um, uh, he's very athletic. Uh, his speed is good. Um, and he has solid coverage instincts. He's a hard hitter. He plays the run pretty well. Uh, and he's also very quick with his hands and he's a polished defender. Um, only cons I have for him is that he sometimes begins plays a little bit slowly and he needs to add some muscle to catch up to the challenges of a college game. Uh, he's a very impressive prospect. There's not a ton of like obviously glaring holes in his game. Um, but I'm not, I'm unsure about how high his ceiling is because there was a lot of moments where you look at his film and you're like, yeah, he's pretty obviously the most athletic guy on the field, which we'll have another point to make about a guy like that later in the list where you really don't know anything about him. Uh, but I, I really like Jordan Perry. He's someone that I think could potentially see the field as a special teams guy early, similar to Jake Clifton in that regard. Uh, just because of his athleticism, uh, Marvin Martin saw the field a lot early, but I see him as a quality starter to fringe all big 12 safety in the fifth to sixth round pick potentially as a um, like ceiling for his draft uh, prospects. But what do you think about him, Ace? For me, Jordan Perry kind of encapsulates a jack of all trades who has yet to pick one thing to master. And I think that's if he picks one thing to master, I literally do not care what it is. He probably kicks himself above Oakley for me, whether it be defending deep, dep- defending like a curl zone or just being a really good run support safety. Basically, if he makes the decision to turn into Russ Yeast, TJ Smith or Sincere Mason, I, no, probably Stubby is a better comparison there. I, I'm not sure anyone's ever going to be as emo as Stubby, but. but if he just makes a decision on what one thing to master i think he could be very good at it because as it stands right now he's just a jack of all trades 
who will be good no matter where you put him. And honestly, that is a pretty good comparison for Marvin Martin because that's kind of what Marvin Martin was. He was a plus athlete who had yet to pick one thing to master in particular, and he just hadn't gotten to that point in his development yet. And I think that Jordan Perry, if he sticks around, will, if I had to take a gamble on what one thing that he's going to master, I would almost say run support because he has weirdly good tackle technique when he's not launching himself like he's TJ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I like Jordan Perry a lot. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's tough to put him higher because he's pretty solid to good at everything, but there's nothing that jumps off the page except for when he runs circles around people. Cause he yeah. also, he was a two way player. He played running back in a triple yeah. option. Offense. Yeah. And the, and the flex bone triple yeah. option, which it was very funny just watching him be more athletic than everyone on the field, but it also like made it tough to like project just how good he is, which that's, you know, that's the difference between, you know, us and guys who are like working for college teams that and they also have the budget to go actually watch and play a full game of defense and get all 22 and get all 22 yes that as well but yeah i really like jordan Perry. he's he's this staff is really settled in to a type at every position and jordan perry is their type at safety he's the right size uh right length uh and he's just all around exactly what they're going to be looking for in a safety going forward uh, at least for the most part, I feel um, like the uh, he's like he's like a Drake Cheatham uh, kind of. Um, but you know, he yeah, he could specialize in about anything he wants um, at safety and probably be pretty great at it. But it's just going to remain to be seen what that is. Yeah. All right, number eight. I, I think this one's different. I believe it is. I have um, Adrian Lara, uh, the quarterback, commits out of I believe Goodyear. Good year, Arizona. Arizona, yes. Yeah. 6'2, 215.8696 composite 85 on 24-7. That makes him the second highest rated commit in the class on 24-7. But who do you have, Ace? I have Drake Beckwith. <sighs> yeah. So, I re- I really struggled with where to put him. I wanted to put him higher than I did. I have him at 10 personally, but I so you and I trade Lara and Beckwith because I have Lara at 10. So we'll, we'll start with Lara. We'll start with yeah. Lara. Yeah. Um, Lara is a very interesting quarterback prospect, I'd say. Because you watch this. I've watched this film, I think, about three times now. The first time was when I watched it on my own and really liked it. And then I watched it with Ace when we found holes in this game. And we were like, eh. And I watched it again. There's a hole like, out there. <laughs> there. There was. And But at the end of the day, he produced. And he did it at a very high level of football. I mean, like he came very close to breaking Spencer Rattler's passing records in Arizona, which is not an easy feat. It was something like 6,000 career yards, I think. He had like 5,800. Yeah, it was something crazy. And he missed some time with injury as well. And he, so he probably, at least I think he did. I don't know. I might be making excuses for him. But uh, the very first thing that stands out about Adrian Lara is all caps, very strong arm. He has a very strong arm. He's a gunslinger at heart. Uh, he he is from Arizona, so like it makes sense that you'd have a gunslinger in the Wild West. Uh, his mechanics. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. But I, I, you know what? I love it. Go ahead. His mechanics are admittedly really weird, but you can't deny that he has a knack of 
just getting the ball where it needs to be almost every time. Um, he had great production against quality competition. His deep ball is really good and he looks really comfortable throwing deep. Even into coverage, he puts the ball where it needs to be. And when he's missing, he's going a little bit too far, which you much rather have that than under throws. And uh, he looks comfortable outside of the pocket and on the run. He's not a mobile quarterback. Let's not make that known, but he does look comfortable moving around outside the pocket and scrambling for a few yards if he absolutely needs to. Um, and he throws on the run really well. And he occasionally just makes a, t- a tough throw look absolutely effortless. He's just w- one of those kind of QBs where I, I feel like this is like Jaron Lewis at like his like potential, like Adrian Lara's high school film. Like uh, some of his cons, he's not super fast. I kind of mentioned that his mechanics are inconsistent. Um, but like, and he does occasionally underthrow deep. He doesn't normally, but you know, it's nothing crazy. Like it's not something I'm going to look at and be like, oh no. Um, he has weird mechanics for sure, but regardless, his film looks great when you look at it. He he's he's just one of those guys. He has a great highlight tape. I know Ace has some things that he wants to say about Adrian Lara. Like his mechanics are definitely weird, but you know, he's, he's a decent prospect. I think I don't think he's a phenomenal prospect. There's a reason that he's at eight and not in the top six, which has kind of become like my de facto, you're really good for this recruiting class, but he does have a very high ceiling. That's how I'll describe it. His floor is like the dirt, but his ceiling is quite high, um, but I he has the arm talent. I'll put it like that. I'm not sure if you noticed, but every time you said the word mechanics, my smile got a little wider. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. I know you have a lot to say about his mechanics, but so I like Lara. I like I said before, I don't think there's a single recruit on this list that I dislike. Laura checks in at number 10 for me. And the primary reason why he checks in at number 10 for me is because just about everything that you could suspect for him is pure projection. You mentioned it before. This could be Jaron Lewis at his top potential, or it could just be Jaron Lewis. (laughs) I, and the main reason why I'm so concerned with him mechanically is just that a lot of his plays it there there are times where yes it's just mechanically awkward and you can work with things that are mechanically awkward i mean patrick mahomes mechanically is awkward that's the comparison i made in my overview part as i said hey it's possible for unique mechanics to work however that's not that's the exception to the rule i think we should say yeah it it is it is the exception of the rule because for every single patrick mahomes you get you get two or three Paxton Lynches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the main problem that I have with Adrian Lara is his footwork and his release mechanics. And it's the former concerns me because it never got will it never got ironed out with Will Howard, or at least it hasn't yet. There's still time. Yeah. The latter really concerns me because the quarterback coach is notoriously quick release Colin Klein. Yeah, 
I I totally get your fear with his release. I'm somewhat optimistic that Klein will be able to fix his release because luckily Colin Klein has not coached any of the QBs to be the same QB as him. <laughs> yeah. Which has he I'd say he improved Skyler's release. He definitely quickened it. I think his re- Skyler's release was a lot snappier by the time that he was done in college. Not to like jump in if you're trying to say something else, but I did want to give my piece on that where I do think that Klein can teach someone to use, I'll just say it, correct mechanics. And because <laughs> his were wrong, they worked, but they were wrong. And most QBs should not use Colin Klein's mechanics. But I think I, I'm interested to see what Klein can do with Lara, especially because Lara is really flying under the radar because he was a late, he was a very late signee. Yeah, he was originally uh, committed to Washington State. He was. He was a Washington State commit, decommitted, and then... Uh, a couple months later, committed to the Cats. He was a late um, uh, find by the staff as well. I don't even think he got offered until after the first of the year. So he was a late ad, um, and his film is solid. Like entertain- It's definitely entertaining. Oh, like, it's definitely like- entertaining. And he, I, I don't want to dumpster on the kid, sorry. I, I don't want to dumpster on him because, yes, he does have an absolute rocket for an arm. And there's a yep. lot that you can do with a kid with a rocket for an arm who's willing to take coaching. Like, yeah. yeah. He, he uh, and that's the main reason. I don't think he'll be bad. It's just that I'm not willing to project him to be great. And I think yeah. that, that to crack top 10, you have to be able to have that one thing that's great for me. Arm strength. All right. <laughs> Jaron Lewis has an amazing arm. He does. He hands the ball off really well, too. Elite trait handoffs. We are saucing on yeah. him so bad. He does not deserve I'm so this. sorry, Jaron. <laughs> you know what? You, you flicked that ball to do so well in Oklahoma State. You might be doing like that. All right. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying. He's trying. Like it's not <laughs> moving on. I like Lara. And yeah. like I and you know what, Ace, we always get into debates about this, which is funny because ultimately I think we have roughly the same opinion on Lara. Like mm-hmm. we just have different ways of getting to that point. Yeah. Like we have we have complete opposite ways of getting to that point. Because yeah. I'm like, look at all these great trades he has. And you're like, his mechanics are wrong, which is true. But <laughs> we we ultimately end up at like he might be something. Yeah, he, he might, might not. Yeah. But, but I think that's that's about enough on Adrian Lara. I think we've like exhausted the possibilities like of things to say about him. Yeah. But so we can move on to number nine, which I do believe. Hey, I gotta have. talk about my number eight. Oh, you do. I apologize. It's okay. Talked about Lara so long, I forgot. Yeah, my number eight is Drake Beckwith, and it's he's listed as an offensive tag. He's not going to play tackle. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is not surpassing a line gang past Doran Clem. Mm-mm. Not happening. <laughs> Sorry, I, and that makes me think that may that may make it sound like I think that Beckwith is a bad player. I don't. I think he's an amazing guard. <laughs> yeah, I because just watching Beckwith run block is a thing of beauty. In that he just <laughs> he, he bullies people. people. He, he he just he just bullies people. I understand that his brother's a walk on fullback. He plays guard like he's a fullback. He just gone. He's, gone. he's he's got that dog in. That's yeah. what. He is. Yeah, he. That is one way to describe him. Drake Beckwith is just the prototypical mauling guard. 
I it'd be a little bit of projection to say that he could pull already at the next level. And I do think that he will need time to marinate. But if you're going to pick one room to take a player who needs to marinate, um, yeah, I'll take the offensive line room. Thanks. <laughs> but Mequia to me is just, he projects as a guard. I could honestly see him playing both left or right guard because it's not, it's not the same as left and right tackle where there's an insane learning curve and people just forget that you have to mirror everything you've ever learned in your life. And it's not easy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, to me, that's very Beckwith's up here because I think it's very little projection and I can very easily see, yeah, he's going to be a mauling guard who can probably develop a decent semblance of pass, pass protection. I honestly see him as Josh Revis too. And I'm fine with Josh Revis too. Yeah, Josh is really good. I back with a little bit down, but I agree with most of what you said. When I was watching his film, I was thinking of him as a tackle and I was like, wow, he could be like pretty good at tackle. But then you said guard and it just clicked for me. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh, wow, he could be, he could be really good. <laughs> like he's, which like, well, we'll get to him when we get to him. He's not too far behind a on my list. Although I do have a different guy here at number nine, mm-hmm. uh, which you have someone different in nine as well than I do. Um, but my number nine is Jacob Parrish, uh, five foot 11, 165 out of, uh, Overland park, I believe maybe Olathe. And what's the difference, honestly? And <laughs> oh, and, I'm uh, sure he, that you started a turf war somewhere. Oh, I'm sure I have. I don't particularly care, but I'm sure I did. <laughs> and, um, Parrish, he's listed as an athlete, probably a corner. Um, but he's kind of, he could be an offensive gadget player maybe as well. Uh, he does have, I believe the lowest composite of any commit at a 0.8181 and an 80, 24, seven score. But who do you have in number nine ace? I have VJ Payne at number nine. And the main reason I have VJ Payne here at number nine is I know what he's going to be. He's going to be a consistently good safety. That's, that's it. That's really all I can say about him is he will be a consistently good safety. <laughs> yeah, that that is fair about BJ Payne. Like I watched this film and left it simultaneously knowing exactly what he'd be and nothing about him. And uh, it was very strange. But Jacob Parrish, the reason I put him at nine is almost entirely because of his athletic potential, which maybe is a mistake on my part, but I'm very excited by him. He ran a 10.37 100 meter dash. And was the 6A state champ in the state of Kansas. Um, I think we call that elite speed in the biz. In the business. Um, yeah. He's just an absolutely phenomenal athlete. He has great change of direction. He's a very smooth runner. His coverage instincts are fine, if, although they are slightly underdeveloped. Um, of which, granted, he was primarily used as an offensive player in high school. He was a gadget offensive guy that, uh, was a running back, but they also used him as a passer in the passing game. I mean, mm-hmm. um, he has very high potential, which that is a lot of what revolves around the optimism regarding Jacob Parrish is if he can develop technical skills and uh, become a good corner, develop the coverage skills, such a hard position to learn, but he definitely has the athleticism to make up for some deficiencies in coverage. I mean, yeah. when you're that fast, you can struggle a little bit and just make up for it by being good. And another area that makes him good specifically for K-State is he could be a really great returner if he has those instincts within him. I mean, 
Phillip Brooks was someone that broke out when he was like a freshman because he could return punts when we desperately needed a punt returner. Um, so Jacob Parrish could really become useful next year when Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks are probably gone, I'd imagine. I think they only have one year of eligibility left. I'm not really yeah. sure now I'm saying it, but now yeah, he's definitely raw. He needs a lot of work. Um, but there's a lot of time to fix it. You know, he's not someone that needs to immediately contribute, not by any stretch of the imagination, but he could end up being one of the steals of the class. He has game-breaking speed. I comp him to Morgan Burns. Um, his potential is very high, um, which makes me put him anywhere from a fifth-round pick to an undrafted free agent because some team may take a flyer on him because he's fast. Or he may slip out of the draft if he doesn't develop very good coverage instincts. But yeah. it, it's pick your point. It, you have no idea how he's going to yeah. end up, really. He's a flyer who is athletic, but he has a lot of good traits and he's elite athletic. He's not like a good athlete that they're taking a flyer on, or else he'd be a preferred walk on. He's an elite athlete that they're like, we might be able to do something with this. He's like Darrell Jones, but an even better athlete, pretty much. But Darrell, you know, has a, a large hill to climb. It's just as big for Jacob Parrish, but we'll see what happens with them. Yeah. All right. And for numbers 10 through 15, let's go two sentences each. Sound good? Sure. Um, I had Drake Beckwith for number 10. Um, he is the most underrated or one of the most underrated prospects in the class. Um, I didn't expect much from him at all given his film or given his placement and his film, but I ended up absolutely loving his film. And if you move him to interior offensive line, he could be really great, truly. Um, but yeah, quality starter potential, sixth to seventh round pick, maybe. But they could be higher than that. We'll see. Who yeah. do you have? You've got Lara, right? Number 10 is Adrian Lara. A lot of projection, nuclear missile for an arm. Yeah. VJ Payne is my number 11. He's basically Jordan Perry, but not Jordan Perry. And I see him uh, project. I project him as an average starter. I think he could be solid. I'm a little concerned about how he translates to safety because he played a lot of linebacker, but he could be something, but he definitely has the frame and the potential. My number 11 is Colby McAllister, freakishly athletic cornerback with ideal size, who is just needs a time to marinate. Number 12 for me, I have Tyson Struber. That's consensus. Yep. I Struber's film might be the most dominant, but that's because he played eight man football and was a five, eight to six a athlete. He is an incredible borderline elite athlete, but you ultimately going off his highlight film, you to have no idea how he's going to turn out in power five just because of how awful the competition was but he has a very high ceiling potentially but again it's it's all potential with him yeah that's consensus for me tyson struber is potential deep threat wide receiver who needs to prove himself yeah ditto 13 for me is colby McAllister. Um, I like him a lot. His senior film is a little uneventful, but his junior film is really nice. 
And like you said, he's an elite athlete. He just needs to work. And he's pretty good at sticking receivers uh, in out and ups, but sometimes kind of struggles with sticking with the receiver through like a, a slant, Yeah, which is odd. But yeah. My number 13 is Braden Lofton. And it's just okay tight end prospect who needs a lot of work in just about every part of his game, but has the frame that could fill out into a legitimate force yep 14 i have sterling locket um my first pro for him is that he is a locket um he's a better route runner than tyler was at this time and he also is a better receiver in terms of using his hands um but he doesn't have the burner speed that his brother did so if he develops late like a lot of lockets have he could be special but if he doesn't then he'll be a below average starter but remains to be seen. For me, number 14 is Jacob Parrish. And that's because I, I don't even know what position he's going to play. I can't project what he's going to be if I don't even know the position. With Darrell Jones, we at least knew coming in that he was going to definitely be a corner, even though he played running back at Coffeeville. With Parrish, I, I don't know. The only place that I can definitively put him is kick returner. Hello, Maple. Excuse me, Maple. <laughs> she almost knocked over the mic. That would have been unlucky. She's forgiven because she is perfect. That's fair. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, who's your 14? Yeah. Oh, wait. For, your 15. 14 was Sterling. Yeah. Your 15. Yeah. My 15th and final prospect is Braden Lofton. Uh, I don't hate him, but... It was primarily because he is unfortunately compared to Garrett Oakley as a tight end. And Oakley is such a phenomenal prospect that it makes Lofton look worse than he actually is. Yeah. Uh, Lofton's not bad at all, but he's just nowhere near as athletic as Oakley. So he, if he grows, he could end up being that blocking tight end that we're looking for. And I know that this is blasphemy in K-State circles, but for me, number 15 is Sterling Lockett, the wide receiver. Again, the main thing is that he's a locket and he has okay route running ability. He's someone that I honestly don't see getting onto the field until at least his junior year. And but at least I know where he's going to play. It's just the question of ceiling. I almost put him at 15, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I was like, he's a locket. Like at the end of the day, like his ceiling is Tyler Lockett until proven otherwise for me. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we will see with him, but yeah, that wraps up our yeah. high school rankings, but we do still have uh, some transfer rankings, which we can get into a little bit, especially with the higher rated guys. Yeah, um, but before we do that, let's go and just do our short version of our recruiting rankings for high school, just so everyone knows where we stand. So you can go first, name them just by last name or yeah. ju- just name. Number one, I have Tobios and Sanmi. Number two, I have Donovan Ryman. Number three, I have Garrett Oakley. Number four, I have Jalen Clem. Number five, I have Jake Clifton. Number six, I have John Pastor. Number seven, I have Jordan Perry. Number eight, I have Adrian Lara. Number nine, I have Jacob Parrish. Number 10, I have Drake Beckwith. Number 11, I have BJ Payne. Number 12, I have Tyson Struber. 13, Colby McAllister. Number 14, I have Sterling Lockett. And number 15, I have Braden Lofton. For me, number one is Tobios and Sonmi. Number two is John Pastor. Number three is Donovan Ryman. Number four is Jalen Clem. 
Number five is Jake Clifton. Six is Garrett Oakley. Seven is Jordan Perry. Eight is Drake Beckwith. Number nine is Vajie Payne. Number 10 is Adrian Lara. 11, Colby McAllister. 12, Tyson Struber. 13, Braden Lofton. 14, Jacob Parrish. And 15, Sterling Lockett. And now we can get into the transfers. And we can let's do deep dives on the top three, four to five sentences on four through 10, and then two sentences for 11 through 13. That sound good? Works for me. All right. So let I, because I believe our top two is consensus. And I, since yeah. you went first for high school, I'll go first for transfers. Fine by me. The number one transfer coming in, and it shouldn't be a surprise to people paying attention in K-State recruiting circles, is Adrian Martinez. And if you remember, while this recruiting was ongoing, especially me, I feel like Connor made himself okay with it, but I was extremely skeptical before the transfer actually occurred. But it's warmed up to me, and I've warmed up to the idea of Adrian Martinez being the starting quarterback here. And the main reason why, we'll we'll go into PFF grades in just a second, but just regardless of that, Adrian Martinez is what K-State hasn't had in a very long time at quarterback. And that is a true playmaker. Because Skylar Thompson, for all his great qualities, he was not a true playmaker. He was someone who would get the ball where he needed to, and he could create on the ground, but he wasn't going to be that you're not buying a ticket just to watch Skylar Thompson play. Right. There are legitimate reasons why you would buy a ticket just to watch Adrian Martinez play because he is that level of athlete at the quarterback position. And he does have legitimate arm talent. He has legitimate speed. The big knock against his game was that he was not a winner at Nebraska. I'll give you a hint. No one at Nebraska has been a winner at Nebraska. That's why they transferred to K-State. <laughs> but I was initially very skeptical about Adrian Martinez being the starting quarterback at K-State. I've come around to it and I'm very excited for what this offense can be with a backfield that consists of Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. And we'll we'll talk about the PFF grades together, but what, what's your take on Adrian Martinez? Yeah, obviously he's my number one guy as well. Um, I, I think, one of the biggest things is something that you said having an Adrian induced backfield is going to be huge because having a Skylar induced backfield was good, but that a lot of that was pre Skylar injury. Now having Adrian and deuce back there, that's going to make it a real problem for crash and defensive ends to commit to deuce, you know? So it's, it's Adrian adding that versatility. And then also uh, yeah, I was a little quicker to adopt Adrian, but even then the skepticism remained, I think, for both of us until the post-bowl game era. Yeah. Because seeing that Colin Klein was willing to make adjustments to the offense and tailor it to the players that he had, that made me realize that I think Adrian could really thrive in a Colin Klein-called offense. I I thought that he had the physical tools to do it, and I... I'm, I'm very intrigued by him as a passer. I think it's something I should say because he has a big arm, but he does have a history of turnovers and getting sacked. We all know the story about his offensive line being awful past the PFF numbers. Totally prove that at least a tackle, but yeah, but yeah, 
I mean, having the two worst pass blocking offensive tackles in power five, you know, your, your quarterback's going to get sacked a little bit, I think. But I mean, Adrian Martinez, I love the thought of him behind a Connor Riley offensive line next to Deuce Vaughn in a Colin Klein called offense. That seems like an ideal situation for someone like Art Martinez to thrive where he is prone to making turnover worthy plays. But if you put him in a system that is good at maximizing his strengths and keeping him out of danger for the most part, while still allowing him to make plays, I, I, I see him as having a very high ceiling and he immediately increases K state ceiling in 23 from like a six to seven win team to a nine to 10 win team. Yeah, I agree. So in terms of PFF grades, which we only have for two players here, because a lot of these guys are JUCO transfers, and in the case of one, it's an FCS transfer. But the PFF grades were actually relatively kind to Adrian Martinez, and I know it's weird, me embracing numbers, but he had a grand total of 76.8 for a total PFF grade, 70.4 passing, and 75.2 running. And keep in mind that he had above average numbers with on metrics that are not adjusted for offensive line play. He was an above average quarterback with one of the worst offensive lines in power five. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting what he managed to do given the uh, offensive line that he had to protect him, And then also the play calling that he had around them. Um, it's telling that they have a new OC this year. Um, and then, uh, uh, he was occasionally used like a bit of a battering ram. I mean, he was scrambling for his life more often than not. Yeah. I um, haven't been able to do the deep dive on him that I really wanted to in film. Um, but that is something I'd like to do eventually this summer and really get a specific preview on Adrian. Um, but I, I, I'm very intrigued by him and his PFF grade is interesting. It's higher than I thought it would be. Uh, I figured it would be in the sixties and uh, all three of his grades, his whole, uh, his whole grade, and then his uh, passing and running grades are all above. So, I'm, I'm interested. Like he, he has absolutely piqued my interest as a KC quarterback. That and he really likes Gordos, which I enjoy. So elite, I, elite taste in restaurants. Yeah, I was gonna say he clearly is a man of taste, <laughs> man of high society. So, yeah, Adrian, I think is the objective number one for transfers. And number two is consensus for us as well, which I honestly thought is surprising. And a lot of people may think is generally surprising. But for us, number two is Drake Cheatham. And we mentioned it last week during the depth chart preview, but he's a legitimate free safety to where you put him on a deep half or deep middle playing center field in this, in this K-State defense. Throwing deep is either not an option anymore or becomes an infinitely harder option. And that's something that we lacked last year. Russ Yeast was a very, very good safety. He was not an elite center fielder. And Cheatham is the opposite, in which he's good at everything, but he is an elite middle field safety. And that's something that I feel like this team can benefit from. And of course, this could end up with egg on my face. We could both be stupid. It's, it's happened before. But I, I truly think that Drake Cheatham will cut above the rest of 
the transfers and even the rest of the safeties that are currently in the room, just based on that athleticism and that playmaking instinct that he has, he's a true ball hawk. And that's something that it, we haven't seen at K-State for a little while now. We thought we were getting at in Julius Brents. No, he's just a sticky corner. Echo is Echo Island, so you're not throwing at that. Who Who's the last true ball hawk that you can, don't say Ross Elder, that you can think of? Um, gosh, well, if you, that's an actual, like, legitimate non-rhetorical question. No, that's a true, legit question. Uh, for a true ball hawk, wow, it's... It has really been a while. I'm tempted to say DJ Reed um, at corner because he's he had a couple of really great seasons at corner. Um, but yeah, that's that is tough. That, that's a tough question. It's been a while. But I'm I'm again, like you said, I'm very intrigued by the prospect of an elite middle field coverage guy. Uh, he was an FCS All American. He, uh, I believe, was All Conference as well at Prairie Swack, yeah, and yeah, in the Swack. Um, I'm very intrigued by Cheatham because he does have uh, Russ East qualities, but he does bring in that additional elite trait, which elevates him a little bit, I think, and puts him higher. I think I initially thought that I would put him, but I looked at this list and it just, it made sense to put him this high, I felt. but Yeah. And number three is where we differ. And it's also the last position where we're going to be going into the, the really deep dive. And then it'll be four or five sentences, because again, we don't want another two and a half hour long episode. Uh, <laughs> number three for me is Gavin Forsha out of Tyler Juco, who is one of the three Tyler, the Tyler trio, as it's been called now. And he's the best of the three to me. And I think that you agree with me on that, but Gavin Forsha projects and I'm not sure if we can say that, but let's just say that we were more right than we were wrong about where he would be playing and for where he project. Wait, no, we could talk about it. Cause we talked about it last week on the depth chart. What am I talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what do we, what? Yeah. Gavin Forsha will be playing that Sam edge role, which we thought it was weird that he was projected as a true middle linebacker. Cause none of us really saw that. I mean, he has decent coverage instincts, but the true place that he will play is that edge Sam role. And you and I differ a little bit in our rankings, just in philosophy, because I went off of basically who's the best player. I, I was looking less at need. And I think that Gavin Forsha, as soon as Khalid Duke either moves position, steps back inside if he needs to, or moves on, I think that Gavin Forsha steps in and I think he's better. I think he's better than Khalid Duke especially if you give him a year in the system to learn, you know, his different responsibilities in a three, three, five, that it, it honestly, it's not a four, two, five. It's, it's the three, three, five is a very complex defense. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yep. he's, he's just a great player with great coverage instincts, great box linebacker, great tackler, great edge rusher. And yeah, he's my number three transfer coming into K-State. Um, I had him slightly lower because um, I did, add a little bit more of need into my ranking for transfers. So I ended up putting Will Honus at uh, my third ranked. He transferred from Nebraska. So two of our three or two of my three top uh, transfers were Nebraska transfers. Uh, Will Honus 6'2", 225, formerly out of Wichita and Butler County. Um, he had a pretty solid career going at Nebraska. It was a Big Ten honorable mention. 
in uh, uh, 2020, but had a really catastrophic knee injury in spring 21 and missed a whole season and ended up coming to K-State instead. And he's going to step in and be the starting will. And he, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, I think he's going to surprise people most likely. Um, but I, I see him filling the role similar to what Cody Fletcher did, maybe at a higher level even, because uh, I felt Cody Fletcher was a little underrated last year. I think that he, at some points, uh, held the defense together because uh, he, he, like Echo, had a nose for, uh, uh, for trick plays and uh, counters and uh, things going opposite side, but which Grant is his job. But Mahonis, <laughs> um, I'm really intrigued by how many fills a very desperate need that we had um, to find someone to immediately step in and be a starting quality uh, linebacker next to Daniel Green. And he fills that role. And I'm, I, I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Yeah. All right. And now we go through four through 10, which will be just four or five sentences. And for me, number four is Va'ai or Uso Sayamalo out of Independence. No, Gardner Edgerton Community College. Garden, Garden City. Garden City. Garden Edgerton is a school district. Garden, <laughs> Garden City Community College. He's listed as 64305. Um, Joe Klanderman said otherwise recently yeah, Joe, in an Joe, interview. So. Joe Klanderman disagrees. And I also put Uso here because allegedly he's an absolute nutty athlete at his size. And mm-hmm. you, can, you can never have enough nutty athletes playing defensive tackle or nose tackle, especially in the the more odd fronts. And if you, if you were wondering why look at Devonta Wyatt last year and what he was able to do in the Georgia defense, I'm not saying Uso Salamalo is going to be Devonta Wyatt because that would make me sound like a maniac, but just having that legitimate force and that athleticism at defensive tackle who can play nose, who can play two eye, who can play three tech is something that's very important for a three, three, five. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at, uh, how important Timmy Horn was last year as that space eater, but yeah. hopefully he can step in. I have him a little bit lower, um, but my number four is Kobe Savage. Again, this was something that I ended up doing based off of need because when we got Kobe Savage, we really needed safeties, and he ended up being a really nice ad. Uh, at least I think he will be, but uh, he was a North Texas commit who visited K-State, then decommitted, and then he committed to K-State real quickly. Um, part of the Tyler Trio, um, I I'm a big Kobe Savage fan. Um, I think he'll probably end up starting or getting starter snaps this year. Uh, we'll we'll see because it, 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 you effectively have like four or five starters in the yeah. K-State defensive backfield with how much they rotate. So I have a four just based off a of uh, positional need, uh, being able to come in and immediately contribute and also being an early enrollee and learning the offense or the defense, I should say, a little bit uh, more quickly. So I'm I'm excited to see what Kobe does that, and he has an excellent name, uh, so that has to bump him up at least three or four spots. Obviously, that, that is but, a sick name. I'm not yeah. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, but I I really like Kobe Savage. Yeah, number five for me is Tony Frias, Anthony Frias from he's Modesto Modesto Junior College. He's a five ten two oh five running back, and we've talked about him so many times before that it, it may seem redundant now, but. He truly is that bruising power back, the perfect compliment to Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, my number five is Gavin Forsha. 
the only reason he's not higher is because we don't immediately desperately need Gavin Forsha. Uh, but he is going to be excellent uh, as a rotational guy. Uh, yeah, and it was strange looking at his film and being like, huh, like, why are we recruiting him to be an inside linebacker? You know, he had 11 and a half sacks. And that's strange. And we're like, oh, he is going to be an outside or an edge rusher. So that's good. But yeah, Forsha, 6'3", 220. Um, he'll probably get significant snaps this year as a rotational guy for Khalid Duke. Um, he, he'll he come in and be ready immediately. He's playing a position of high importance in the 3-3-5 as well. And also it's a recruiting win over USC, uh, given that yeah, they offered, he visited, and committed to the Cats anyways. So yeah. that's a that's a big boy win for Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman beating Lincoln Riley again. We'd love to see it. Love to see it. Number six for me, and it's honestly criminal that he is this low, but I, I just can't move him up any higher. And number six for me is Jordan Wright, uh, the other California JUCO transfer in. And I, if he, we didn't have Echo and Julius, he would slot into the starting outside corner spot immediately. And he's just ridiculously sticky in all forms of coverage. And whenever Echo and Julius, because I project them both moving on after this year, whenever they're both gone, Jordan Wright probably steps in and becomes a at least a second team all Big 12 corner. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, Jordan Wright, unfortunately, slips back a little bit further for me because I had Kobe Savage a lot higher. So a lot of these guys are lower on the list despite being really great players. At least we think so. Yeah. Six, I have Uso Sayamalo. Uh, six four, at least three hundred five pounds. It's almost certainly more at at minimum. He's probably closer to like three twenty, three twenty five. Um, uh, there's videos of him somewhere on Twitter. If you dig deep enough, you can probably find them where he's like jumping hurdles, like in Garden City, <laughs> like as part of a workout, like regulation, like hundred meter hurdles, or they probably aren't quite that high, but they're very high, and he just jumps over them like standing yeah like he's doing the same workout there that a lot of uh it looks like wide receivers and defensive backs were doing like yeah. it was phenomenal like his athleticism is incredible he's a space eater um i i think that we didn't give him enough credit as a recruit uh he kind of flew under the radar especially with eli huggins coming back um but he could be a force and he's only going to be a sophomore i believe so you know he he could be special. Like he truly could, which like doesn't seem apparent given that he's number six on my list, but there is some need builds in here. Yeah. And he kind of filled like one of the last needs. I feel like that the team desperately had other than like an additional edge rusher, but they got that in Gavin Forsha. So that's my number six. My number seven is Kobe Savage. He was a 5'10, 205 safety from again another part of the Tyler Trio. And to me, the main reason he's so low is because it's so difficult for me to project where he's going to play because he could play that Jack role, but I don't think he will. He could play a more traditional strong safety, which I could see. I, his best spot would almost certainly be free safety, but I'm not moving Drake Cheatham. Mm-mm, not happening, <laughs> but just because I don't necessarily see him in his best spot doesn't mean that he's going to be bad at anywhere else he plays. I just see him in 
as kind of a there's another person who I'm looking at on this list that is definitely a victim of the log jam at safety. But I project Savage to play more of that strong safety and he'll be a he'll be a good addition to the team and he has multiple years of eligibility. My number seven is a uh, big Tony Frias, uh, 5'10", 205. He's that power back that the team needed after the departure of Jacardier Wright. Uh, he'll step in and back up Deuce, I'd imagine, immediately, unless DJ Giddens takes a massive step or Devin Weathers. Yeah. Um, Tony Frias, uh, he, like you said, he's another victim of the log jam here. Uh, he should, in true talent, like there's probably like five guys that could like be tied for third here. Yeah. But uh, I... I'm a big Tony Frias fan. I've seen a little bit of his film and I love the power he brings, the balance he brings. I mean, he's going to be an excellent spellback uh, for Deuce Vaughn. And if Deuce departs early, then Tony will step in and probably be a starter. So I really, really like him. Yeah. Number eight for me is Will Honus, excuse me, the 6'2", 225 linebacker. And the main reason he's here is because I just I don't like the fit at him at Will Linebacker. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Not in a three three five. I because even at Nebraska, he was always more of a run defender. And the Will in a three three five is traditionally on, on the RPO based offense. You're going to be reading a lot of the weak side linebacker. And I I'm not sure I I trust Will Honus to be that guy who's going to be red on RPOs. But that said, I don't think Will Honus is a bad player. Not at all, actually. I think that on first and second downs, he's almost certainly the second best linebacker that we have on the roster, just because he is going to be such a force in run defense. He's not going to break a gap. He's not going to play undisciplined football and try to look for not necessarily headhunting, but freelancing in terms of run fits. He's going to be exactly where you need him to be for most of the plays in the run game. It's just outside of that. And as a will linebacker, it's a lot of, it kind of makes me nervous a little bit, but will Honus will still be a solid player for the cats this year. My number eight is unfortunately Jordan, Wright, Which he deserves to be much higher, but I have Will Honus and Kobe Savage a lot higher here. So he slips all the way to eight, which he's much more talented than eight suggests. I mean, he committed to the Cats like on the Florida State visit. And Mm -hmm. I think he had a West Virginia offer as well. Mm -hmm. So this is another power five victory. This came in that weekend of like four commits in like a day. Yeah. Staff or whatever it was. Um, but I mean, yeah, he, like you said earlier, he's going to step in next year and be a starter, probably all big 12. He's really quality. Uh, and this year he's going to be re- like excellent depth, I think for, uh, echo and Julius and he'll be on the field quite a bit and he's going to hold his own more often than not. So. Yeah. Number my, number, number mine. What does that mean? Number nine. <laughs> For me is Josh Hayes, the transfer out of the University of Virginia, who transferred to Virginia from North Dakota State. He's a six foot 175. I believe they confirmed he's going to be playing safety. And this is similar to Kobe Savage. It's a situation where I just don't really know where he's going to play. If we were playing in a more traditional defense, I'd say, oh, slot corner. Easy. Let's go. (laughs) And it sounds weird having a six foot slot corner, but that's kind of what his skill set is. And right now he just kind of is in that weird tweener to where I project him to be the starting Jack defender 
but I'm I, I have no conviction on that. He's plenty talented. It's just again he's jammed into this room. Yeah, I have Josh Hayes here as well at number nine. That's uh, one of our first matching picks, or I think it is our first matching pick since uh, number two. But yeah, yeah, he just kind of gets stuck here at the end of this big logjam of guys that are all I think roughly the same in terms of quality, or at least pretty close. And uh, he's going to play a big role immediately. He's a grad transfer. He's a one and done. So, I mean, he's going to be playing this year. He's going to be quality, see the field a lot. And then he'll be gone the year, the following year. So hopefully uh, he's able to make it a big season. He didn't play a ton of Virginia last year, um, but he was uh, pretty solid at North Dakota state as I recall. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm assuming that's where that connection comes from because Kleiman probably recruited him uh, yeah. since he's been around the game for a while. But now yeah, we'll we'll wait and see where he ends up playing. Yeah. Number 10 for me is Sean Robinson, the six foot two, 225 linebacker at this point. He's going to be playing Sam. And this is the one where I think the numbers are the most telling. So he had a 58.5 PFF grade. That's well below average. But he was playing strong safety last year. And if you isolate his numbers to what would be relevant playing a linebacker, specifically Sam linebacker, he had a 68 pass rush grade and a 70.6 run defense grade. He was well above average in both of those things. Yeah. And it was his coverage grade that dragged him down. But in the Sam linebacker spot in this defense, you're not going to be asked to drop in coverage a lot. I mean, you'll do it occasionally. It's just not going to be your bread and butter. But he's he's down at number ten just because I I'm not sure I like the conversion of quarterback to safety to linebacker, and I think it's just a weird fit because if you look at it, what do him and Khalid Duke have in common? Because Khalid Duke's certainly the number one. Yeah, I there's just very little that I could see them having in common, and. And this is another situation where it's a Will Honus. We're like, yeah, I really like the player. Why is he playing there? <laughs> to me, I see him as someone who comes on. Sean Robinson is my number 10 as well. Um, as a uh, a guy who's going to play more in heavy packages when we, we know they're going to run the ball and we maybe take a defensive uh, back off the field. I think he's probably the first guy in in that situation because like he does play the same position, air quotes, as Khalid Duke, but I don't think that he's a one-to-one at all. Like they're they're just not the same. And uh Sean Robinson, yeah, he is a he was definitely a weird fit, especially when he was going to play strong safety, because I was like, he was not great at Mizzou. He was a little below average. And I was like, you know, why are we taking this guy? But then you break down the uh PFF grades and all of a sudden it kind of starts to come together where I think they see him as a better Wayne Jones. And if he can fill that role effectively, you know, that is the difference in a game or two, maybe even because, you know, I, I, every time I think of Wayne Jones, I think of the Iowa state game. The busted gap on the first play of the game. Yep. And it was very obvious on the highlight. <laughs> could happen. Such a shame. Really could have, but the last three, honestly, I don't have very much to say about them, so we'll just kind of rattle through them, and you can talk about them if you have a lot to say. Jane Jackson, wide receiver, six foot one and a half. One hundred. It's important. I'm five nine and a half, so yes, it is important. Uh, 
Um, he's 180. A lot of just everything with him is projection, but he's super twitchy. But he's almost certainly behind Malik Knowles in the X receiver room. Uh, copy paste what you said. Nice to get a power five receiver transfer. Yeah. Especially one that Utah is interested in. Yeah. But I don't have a ton to say about him. His production is low and he's intriguing. Um, but we're going to have to see something uh, before he goes any higher on the list. But I hopefully he's able to make an impact. Yeah. Number 12 for me is Justice Clemens, the 5'11", 185 corner, the final part of the Tyler Trio. And to me, he's just okay. He's a prototypical corner. He's not Jordan Wright. I don't think he's anywhere close to Jordan Wright, but he's good. Him and Omar Daniels are probably going to compete for CB2 whenever Echo and Julius leave. Yeah, I I think that's a fair place to put him in. Uh, I also have him as my number 12. And you know, yeah, he he's fine. There's nothing. He's an inoffensive corner. Um, I I like the depth pick because uh, we did need just a little bit of uh, uh, cornerback depth, and so you know, it was nice to add another guy there. Um, probably didn't hurt the Gavin Forshaw recruitment that he have another familiar face. And uh, yeah, just Clemens, he could be something, but it remains to be seen. Just don't know a ton about him, but we'll see. And then 13th is JB on car, six foot, 170 pounds safety. I, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, it is interesting. The only thing I'll say that's interesting about him is that he kind of bucks the trend that the staff has had with power five transfers. And they generally are only going to take guys that uh, have any sort of production. And JB on car didn't really produce at all. He didn't even see the field at Arizona. Mm-hmm. So to me, what that says is they probably knew him. Uh, um, from like a high school recruitment or just had a good opinion of him from like another coach or something like that. Yeah. So they, they see something in him, but I, it's incredibly unlikely that we see him this year. I'd imagine unless something catastrophic happens in the safety room, but yeah, he ends up at the bottom of the list, but yeah, you know, he he's from another power five school and stays in power five. So that's interesting. So he doesn't have a free transfer for like three years or four years. So there yeah. is that. So we will have at least one defensive back on the roster. Let's go. All right. (laughs) So again, going from top to bottom, my number one was Adrian Martinez. My number two was Drake Cheatham. Number three, Gavin Forsha. Four, Usa Saamalo. Number five, Tony Frias. Number six, Jordan Wright. Number seven, Kobe Savage. Number eight, Will Honus. Number nine, Josh Hayes. Number 10, Sean Robinson. Number 11, Jadon Jackson. Number 12, Justice Clemens. And number 13, JB on Carr. All right. I had number one, Adrian Martinez. Number two, Drake Cheatham. Number three, Will Honus. Number four, Kobe Savage. Number five, Gavin Forsha. Number six, Uso Sayamalo. Number seven, Anthony Frias. Number eight, Jordan Wright. Number nine, Josh Hayes. Number 10, Sean Robinson. Number 11, Jane Jackson. Number 12, Justice Clemens. And number 13, JV on Carr. Yeah. That's your 2022 recruiting class. Those are the new faces that you'll be seeing for the 2022 and 2023 season. So that wraps up that, (laughs) the recruiting special. And now we can get into the, what I'm sure everyone has been waiting for. Now you better not have skipped to the end to hear this. It's the wacky segment of the week. And this week is the question of pick two 
K-State athletes, they can be former or current, for them to pull a Freaky Friday and swap bodies for, let's go a week. Let's say exactly one week, and it is two K-State athletes that trade bodies. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? I'll go first, because I had an idea earlier when you initially proposed this question, and the first thing that came to my mind immediately was Aoka Lee and Deuce Vaughn. Uh, mainly just the height disparity, of course. I mean, like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm sure Deuce would think it'd be fun to be like really tall for a week. And Yoko Lee might be wondering what it's like to not be able to reach the top shelf for a week. And I, I don't know, that was just immediately what came to mind when you brought this up. Uh, just because I, I think the height disparity plays well for something like that. But I don't know. What, what do you think, Ace? I'm going to go with a little bit of an oddball here. I'm going to end up going with Justin Mitchell and Keenan Garber. Really? Yes. And (laughs) the main reason is I just think it'd be hilarious for Justin Mitchell to know what it's like to be insanely fast. And Keenan Garber Honestly, what it's like to not be fast. Yeah, this is just for Justin Mitchell. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I just want Justin Mitchell to have burners for once. And I think that the moment they switch back, Justin Mitchell just starts staring at his ceiling like, why, mama? Why wasn't (laughs) I born fast? (laughs) Poor guy. Poor guy. We put him on blast so much, but he was one of our favorite players in the Batcats this year. Yeah, too bad he's gone now, but allegedly moving to the coaching staff. Yeah, so he'll still be a Wildcat. Good for him. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edward 00. I am at Connor Boutsor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Doom Tank Clan, and Neon Alley Cats. But most of all, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.